Welcome, this is Dirt to Dollars, hosted by your local county extension agents, where we talk everything agriculture. Hey y'all, welcome to Dirt to Dollars, the week of January the 20-something, what is it, Matt, the 25th, yeah. We're recording this on the 27th, which is a Wednesday. It's getting a little blistery outside, I'm seeing some snowflakes fall. What about you? Are you getting some snow over there in Hardin County? Yeah, just a few, and I'm sitting here all warm and cozy, and you made me do math. That made me wake up <laughs> too much, having to count the days back. Yeah, that happens when you get old. <laughs> oh, at least I still have my hair. That's true. Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> So, yeah, we're getting a little snow. Weather has probably been a little bit of a topic, which I guess it's weather is a topic for just about every week. Uh, Pretty much lo- when you're talking agriculture. Yeah, but we did have a lot of rain. We did. And it looked that's like, like... That's the most rain we've had in a long time. It, yeah, and three inches yeah. is kind of the going rate. I think it seems what, what most everybody around here had. And it was needed. You know, it's mud, yeah. it's muddy now, but it, it was needed. And uh, especially southern part south from us, uh, probably yeah. even needed it a little more than we did. Yeah. But yeah, it's mud season has arrived. Yep. Actually, go back like two or three weeks when I started talking about, yeah, I thought some parts of us were in a drought. And uh, we were. We were abnormally dry. We were in the first stage of drought. Just the very we were southern, here? Yes, the southern part of Hardin and LaRue County was in that. Huh. I was I'd right. I hadn't caught that. I was right. I'll give you this one. Well, they showed it on Fox 41 uh, before that rain come in and talked about how important it was for those areas. And I just got to say, I was right. I'll leave it at that. Okay. So I've got a pond that I think we've talked about before that I redid last summer and had a hole that we had to fix in it back in the fall. And it's been holding. There's a rock in the side of the pond that you can see and the water would come up to right at the rock so we hadn't really had a big rain since it came up to the rock and that's kind of my sight gauge Mm -hmm. so we got all this rain and i can't see the rock anymore but the pond's not full and there was water standing everywhere so i would have thought the pond would have been full so i probably need some advice on sealing a pond because i've got a leak somewhere well the best advice that i have on a pond and i used to have this question from time to time and I sold this product is it's using a product called bentonite. Well, and that's what I sealed the first hole with. Yeah. But well, I knew where the hole was. I don't know where the hole is now. Yeah. Generally I, now I, I know we're on the radio and people are going to quote me on this. <laughs> so I can't say don't quote me <laughs> on, on the this. record. Uh, bentonite. If, if you're, if you, you got to have a general idea where the, where the yeah. pond, where the leak is. Cause if you don't, you're going to spread this stuff all over and you can do that. But it'd take a lot. Um, but it'll take a lot, and it'll get a little expensive. Because and, and it's nasty. Have you ever? It seen, is. It's really. It gets in your skin, and it makes yeah. your skin all gummy. But it does work, and that's why it works. Is because it makes when it gets in contact with water, it makes kind of a slimy, gelatinous layer. See, that's there a big you go. Scientific worm. Best worm. way I can explain it is, it's like chalk dust almost. Yeah, so it like kinda. gets on your skin, and it feels that chalky. Ugh. Makes yeah. my skin crawl. I used to have to load bags of it, and I I hated it when I was loading it for a customer, and I'd just have that gummy feeling on my hands all day long. But um, but anyway, I really want to think it's like a 
pound per square foot, roughly. So if you get a 50 pound bag, it's 50 square feet that you can treat. And you just spread that evenly as you can on the ground and then just rake it in. You don't want to work it in. You just kind of want to rake it in where you mix it in with the soil and that can help seal up. So I did the lazy know where the man's way. I did the lazy man's way. I caught like the driest part that we had last summer right before a big rain. Mm-hmm. And I could drive my loader tractor down into the bed of the pond. Mm-hmm. And I knew where the hole was and I dug it out with the loader. And then I dumped some bentonite down in the hole. And then I sprinkled some on top of the dirt and pushed it back over with the loader. So well, there, was, there was no hand tools or raking involved. Yeah, but you knew you that you knew where the hole where it yeah, was. Yeah, so if you yeah. didn't know, that's a good way to to seal to seal it. Right. But now, if there's a rock involved, I don't think that stuff seals to a rock real good. Probably not. So, but I don't know that the hole or the leak is where the rock is. The rock's just my sight gauge. Because, you know, if you sit there and look at the water level on a pond and you look at it every day, you're not going to be able to tell if it's going up or down. Yeah. But if you got something, a landmark, you can tell where that is. So. See, I've just got ponds right now that aren't supposed to be ponds. <laughs> I've got a couple of those, too. And it's weird when you get a big rain like this and water pools in places because, like, I had one yesterday out my back window that wasn't supposed to be there. And it'll usually fill up when we have a big rain, but then there's some sinkholes at the bottom of it, and it'll go right back down because it all drains down mm-hmm. into the cave system underneath me, I guess. And uh, so, yeah, so all day yesterday it was still there. Dark last night it was still there. Got daylight this morning it was gone, like somebody pulled the plug. That's the weirdest thing to me. Yeah, I've got some that are like that in some low spots, but there's no sinkhole there, and it just makes yeah. me think it's going to be there. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. <laughs> that water sitting there that much weight like that, it's going to find a place to go, and it's going to make those yeah. holes a little bigger, and yeah, probably going to be a future sinkhole. So, like I got got enough of them already. I don't need any more. <laughs> Look at that. That wasn't even on our list today, and we just talked five minutes about leaky ponds. Yep. Well, and then another thing, if we want to talk about uh, mud and snow, going to be feeding hay, right? Yep. Yep. Making a mess because it's yep. muddy. Always. Got to feed the hay because, or got to feed the hay because it's looking like if it keeps doing this, there's the grass is probably going to be covered. And there's not a whole lot of people out there that still have grass. There's probably still grass on carpenter farms, but. Uh, no. Okay. Not really. Those sheep are chewing at it, but they're very much there. <laughs> but luckily, there's been a lot of people with plenty of hay this year because I just picked yes, some more up uh, this last week just to make sure I had enough. Uh, but there is there is a lot of supply, and I don't think there's a whole lot of demand right now for, for the hay crop of 2020. That's true. It seems like everybody had a good hay crop. You know, it makes it kind of hard to get rid of excess hay because – you know, most people that need to buy their hay have a source that they buy from every year. And if everybody has enough hay, then their source probably has enough to to meet their needs. So. Yeah, the the combination of having a lot of hay out there, but then actually having decent grass mm-hmm. the latter part of this summer and early fall. So, yeah, I think all that adds up to having, and having a lot of hay left over. And that's a total flip-flop from this time last year. You know, this oh, time I know. last year we were talking about people – didn't think they were going to have enough hay to get through the winter, but just what a difference a year can make. Yep. 
and it seems like they can't get rid of it. <laughs> so if you, some people there, I mean, there's some that had some, basically had a lot of the stuff sold, but if, if you're looking for hay, it's out there. So go, yeah. go get stocked up. And I'd say if, you know, this winter still could turn nasty and it may be something that we need later on. We're starting to, what do we got? Another. Hey, spring is in sight. It is. I mean, it's a rock throw away, I guess. I was always told growing up that you need to plan on feeding hay a hundred days from the first of January. And that is typically pretty close. That gets you to around aboutish April 15th, April yeah. 20th, something like that. Usually by then we can graze some livestock. So this week's helpful hint start counting the days and then uh, last year last year it was like march it's kind of march mid-march wasn't it we had a warm warm spring last year i don't remember all right to do that again i'm gonna have a bunch of little lambs on the ground here in end of february i don't want to feed a whole lot of hay are you what do you got going on are you getting ready to are you calving now did i you are calving now we've got some got some calves on the ground so it never fails. The you know we've had perfect weather for the last month, month and a half. And as soon as the calves start coming, we get three inches of rain and a snowstorm. <laughs> Typical. Yeah, I think I think those animals know that that stuff's coming. Though I think there's something in there that just. Uh, but if that if they knew, wouldn't it be natural instinct to not have the babies when the bad weather's coming? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't they want to just like hold off? Well, they're animals and they're not people, so they can't. <laughs> I just think they know something's something's not right with pressure changing in the air and that kind of stuff. I think it just it's something in there that just makes them. I'm gonna have this baby. Yeah. Speaking of things that aren't right, what about these markets? Which markets? All of them. Yeah, they're all messed up. They're all jacked so, up. So yeah. So the grain market. I know. In the last week, we tanked which it, we were kind of due for a correction because we've basically been straight up since, what, September, August, September. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, everybody thought the sky was falling. And then basically the last first two or three days of uh, this week, we almost brought it all back. And then, you know, we're talking today on the afternoon of the 27th. We started out quite a bit higher this morning and basically closed the day. I'd call it basically unchanged slightly higher and who knows what's going to happen the rest of the week so i think the stock market's doing the same thing kind of stock market's been crazy and there's been some stories about these people on internet chat rooms and message boards and they're hyping these stocks up and then they go outrageous we need to get these guys talking about the corn and the soybean markets is what we got to do get on there get on get them on their chat boards and get them to hype that market up isn't that basically what like China and Argentina and all of them do? Is I they guess. Say, well, yeah. We're going to close our ports and price rallies up. And say, oh, never mind. We're going to open them back up again. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe actually they're taking Don't a you call note that from, market from manipulation? Ag. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> so evidently the NASDAQ or something is going to start looking into all these chat rooms and message boards and Twitter posts and try to fix a lot of this. But, a lot of this stuff that's going on with the the stock market but anyway i have to go underground yep it'll be interesting to see how that plays out it'll have implications i think because it really has shook the stock market up the last day or two so that could uh, it'll be interesting to see how that carries over into to other things 
I guess another part of that is how people can trade online now and commission free. So you're really opening that up to a lot of people that way. But that's enough uh, from your uh, mid-morning stock market update. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a stock market expert? You you know more about it than I do. You follow it more than Uh, I do. I know enough to lose a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of sounds like my grain trading. (laughs) Yeah, we should should start a, a brokerage. Maybe in the next life. Yeah. But one market that we'll talk about, uh, we have a guest today to talk about, is cattle markets. So without further ado, uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and introduce our our guest today. With us now, we have longtime friend of the show, Dr. Kenny Burdine, uh, ag livestock economist. Is that close enough to your title, Kenny, with with the University of Kentucky? I work just fine. Thanks for being with us today, Kenny do it again so we uh we decided we needed to bring kenny back we were just talking that uh we really haven't had a non-covid related discussion with kenny so we're just going to try and have some some general cattle market discussion with you this morning kenny and try and leave covid out of it as much as we can <laughs> Sounds good. so going from that what are you seeing what are some kind of what are the market conditions out in central kentucky currently yeah, you know, we've had a pretty decent run on the board the last couple of weeks. And you know, if you look at what calf prices have done, and not a lot of light calves moving now, but, you know, what, what are moving have improved some in the last one to two weeks. Seeing some improvement, too, in the heavy stuff. And I take that as a good sign as we start thinking, you know, as we start thinking now about moving towards spring, that we are, in fact, going to see a much better, much better 2021. And that's something we might talk about for a minute. I know that's been a topic of discussion uh, quite a bit the last month or two, that there really hasn't been much of a spread between the heavy cattle and the light cattle. What What's some reasoning behind that? What are some of your thoughts behind that? Yeah, that, that's not real uncommon for fall. Now, usually once you get to this time period, it doesn't, it, it starts to change a little bit. But a lot of it comes out in the fall a lot of those heavy feeder cattle, you know, which typically would bring a lower price per pound are getting placed with the anticipation of getting them off feed before the break in the live cattle market that occurs in the summer. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes what you see is those calves that move in the fall, it's kind of their lowest price time. And then those heavier feeders that move that same time period, they're just trying to get them off feed, you know, sometime in the April, May time frame because our break usually occurs June, July. So that's what drives it. Um, I think a lot of it this year also is just kind of an unusual market dynamic. You know, we've got a lot of carry in these markets. If you look at feeder cattle futures, for example, you know, from, from the January contract through fall of this year, you know, basically every single contract month is trading at a premium to the one before. So we're expecting better prices down the road in anticipation of moving back to somewhat more of what we might call a normal market in the U.S., and is that along the same lines as what we're seeing in live cattle futures right now? I know there's a pretty big uh, spread there between the February and the April contract, and they typically will run pretty close together in a normal year, won't they? Ordinarily, you'll see those run similar and see your break in June. But, you know, when you're in an environment like this where 
the expectation is that things, you know, things at some point in the future, you know, simply look better, right? Then you you see you see that phenomenon where you've got those deferred contracts at a premium to the the current ones. All right. And also, I know uh, we've got a big report coming out this week, which some of our listeners may be listening after the report has already come out. But what are you looking for in that report when it comes out? What do you think it's going to show? I hadn't thought about that, Matt. But, yeah, we're recording this on Wednesday. The report comes out on Friday. So, by the time they hear this, some of them may well know how right or wrong I was. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like putting you on the spot. (laughs) What a setup. Well played, gentlemen. So – you know, Friday at three o'clock, USDA released their annual inventory estimates for the U.S. calorie. They'll do, of course, beef and dairy. And this is probably the most important report that we get from USDA that, that gives us a feel for um, cattle supply at the cow-calf level, right? We, we get a lot of indicators every month and every week, for that matter, on beef production and or cattle on feed reports. But, you know, what really drives the size of this calf crop, obviously, is the number of cows out there in production. So, you know, that's what we're going to get here on Friday. So it looks like the high watermark for beef cow numbers for this cycle would have been January 2019. So a year ago now, we saw our first decrease in beef cow numbers during 2019. And I would be really surprised if that report on Friday doesn't say that beef cow numbers are down again. Um, kind of give you some sort of point forecast. I'd probably say we'll be down somewhere between one and one and a half percent, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that really is a pretty significant number of cows when you think about it at the national level. You know, the obviously COVID impacted the markets in 2020. That's that's obvious. Um, but you know, in addition to that, if you look at a drought monitor about the western half of the U.S. has dealt with pretty significant drought going back to last, I don't know, you know, late late summer, early fall. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you combine those things, and then, you know, that kind of paints a picture. And then thirdly, um, I like to watch cow slaughter numbers. And although I don't have December numbers yet for beef cow slaughter, if you look at the first 11 months of 2020 compared to the first 11 months of 2019, we had actually harvested two and a half percent more cows in 2020 than 2019, which is interesting when you consider the fact that the cow herd was smaller in 2020. Mm-hmm. We'd already culled it pretty hard in 2019, right? Yeah. And then you think about this spring and some of the processing slowdowns. I think it's very telling that we actually killed more cows in 2020 than 2019. Yeah, so, I would. I wouldn't have thought that at all. Really? Hmm. I'll be shocked if numbers aren't down. Um, you know, come, come Friday or first of next week. Now, now this report, it also gives some state by state breakdowns, right? What are you thinking you'll see, we'll see for the state of Kentucky? I think we'll be down to, um, you know, the, the state level numbers are always a little harder to predict. For example, I'll just be up front with you. They, you know, they, they estimated us up last year. Mm-hmm. Surprised me. I, I didn't yeah. expect, expect that at all. Um, that one caught me totally off guard because I would have had us down a few percent. They had us up a percent or something. I can't remember for sure. Um, but again, I'll be surprised if Kentucky numbers, you know, aren't, aren't also down. Look at how many cows have moved. And frankly, cow prices were one of the bright spots price-wise in 2020, right? right so that, right. that 
pulled some cows out of production too. So I think all those things line up for a smaller cow herd going into 2021. And what do you see going forward uh, maybe through 2021? Do you think we'll continue killing cows? Or do you expect cow numbers go go down? Or what are kind of some of your thoughts on that? Your biggest driver, of course, is weather. So, you know, what, what happens weather-wise throughout 2021 will be the biggest factor driving it. But if we just kind of assume normal weather, whatever that is, the liquidation phases of these cattle cycles typically last, you know, four to six years. So in a normal cycle, we would see another year or two of decreasing beef cow numbers. And although I absolutely think calf prices will be higher in 2021 than we saw in 2020, I don't think they'll be high enough to, to turn the corner and actually see us add some cow numbers back. So my guess is if we're talking this time next year, January of 2022, we talk about another decrease in beef count numbers at the national level. And we've also kind of got the ever-present elephant in the room, I guess, of grain prices uh, and how they affect cow numbers and affect cow-calf profitability too. And You know, I've said for years, I don't know that we can continue to take ground out of pasture and put into production, but it seems like we, you still see some being lost. I, that's a factor in there also, isn't it? That's some of it for sure. And of course, you know, the thing that this occurred a lot, I guess, back in 2013, 14 mm-hmm. in the state, you know, it, it's much easier to take pasture ground and put it in a row crop than bring it from row crop back into pasture. Right. And, it, right. you know, it's, you know, to the point where it's, it's, it's just frankly not going to happen very often. So that's a piece of it. And then of course, you know, th- this crop's not as big as it looked like it was going to be back in the summer. And, you know, we've had some, some positives on the demand side as, as, as well on the grain, but I'm convinced that had it had 2020 not been a year dominated by COVID impacts, folks in the cattle business will be talking a whole lot more about the impact of the price run up that we saw in grains. You know, what we saw, I'd have to go back. I'm not so sure. And I don't know this for sure, fellas, but I don't know that we've seen a price swing of this magnitude, meaning what we saw during the growing season last mm-hmm. year, since probably that 2012 crop. And I, I may be wrong, but I think I'm telling you right. It. I don't know that that happened as quickly as this one did this fall. And I've even heard some uh, some numbers thrown around that maybe it reflected more of like 2008. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and it was a huge run up and, um, you know, it impacts, obviously it impacts us on a cost basis somewhat, folks that are backgrounding cattle and, and somewhat in terms of feed. But the thing that it does, folks, you know, it increases the cost those feed yards have to, to finish cattle. So mm-hmm. it ultimately decreases what they can pay for these feeder cattle that they're picking up in places like Kentucky. Um, you know, the good news is, you know, if you looked at the fall feeder cattle future board, it, it had been in the mid 150s. It's pulled back a little bit here today while we're talking. We're recording this, I guess, on the 27th, so on Wednesday afternoon. But, you know, we're still in the low to mid 150s. And, you know, in the spring of the year, when these fall born calves are going to be weaned, so think like April of 2021, those summer stock operators, they're looking at those fall 2021 feeder cattle futures contracts for an expectation of price at, you know, at, at sale time this fall. And a feeder cattle futures market, you know, in the 150s for fall 2021, 
bodes very well for a spring calf market. I think we'll see these calves 20, 25 cents higher per pound than they were in the spring of 2020. So I think we'll see a pretty good spring 2021 calf market, the best we've seen in probably five or six years, in fact. And I know we we talked about this when we talked last spring when kind of some of the COVID stuff hit, is we were kind of set up for that same pattern last spring. We were looking at some at a positive market then and then just – uh, kind of the bottom fell out because of COVID implications, right? COVID just took our spring peak out period. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the calf market dropped a little bit from like February to April, but the real story wasn't so much how it dropped. It's how much higher it would have been. I mean, it right. was, I, I'm convinced it had been 20, 20 or 25 cents higher last year too. So that was the big difference last year was it just, you know, you, you didn't see the drop that you saw in calf prices that you saw in the heavy feeders. But what you didn't see was that typical run-up. And at the time, if I'm not mistaken, guys, at one point there in early March, we had the fall feeder cattle futures board around 160. Yeah, so that sounds right. That, tra- that translates into a very nice spring calf price. So anyway, good news, though, I think, you know, barring anything unforeseen, we should be setting up for a much better, much better spring than we saw last year, which should be good certainly for some of these fall calving operations. Um I think we'll see those calf prices pull back quite a bit from spring to fall. But, you know, the, the best case scenario, honestly, for cow-calf operators is that, you know, this this is a big 2021 calf crop, or I'm sorry, a big 2021 corn crop. We get some break in corn price throughout the year. And by the time those spring-born calves are moving to the fall, there's, you know, there's not quite as much pressure from the grain side. got to say I'm a little disappointed. I, I really thought some of this lower cattle number stuff is probably due to the increase in sheep acres, but they didn't even get – I mean, Kenny, you didn't even mention that. So I, well, I listened to you guys. I guess it was last week and interviewed Taryn and talked about sheep. So I, I, I should have had a rib here for Matt about not having sheep. I apologize, Daniel. I was not prepared. Right. There, uh, there's, no, there's no question, though, that that's, that's a factor. <laughs> Well, you can run 300 sheep on five acres. So it's not really, really competition for pastures. <laughs> Whitney's not here, so we both got a pile on that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Another interesting thing about, of course, you know, it's not it's not too early to be thinking about you know some of these stocker operations for for 2021 and. You know, at the the one, you know, one of the positives that tends to come from high grain prices is it tends to lead to better margins for grazing type operations, mm-hmm. right? You know, you think about the spring of the year, you know, those those feed-based operations like feed yards or even your you know, what I call backgrounding operations, your your feed-based programs, they simply cannot pay as much for caps, right? Because you know, feed costs are high. So another way to so another way to say it is they they don't run the price of calves up in the spring the same way they would if feed was cheaper. So it oftentimes makes a little better buy for some of those stocker type operators that can then you know buy some of those calves in the spring and then move them in the fall. <clears throat> the value of gain is typically higher in a market like this. And of course your your cost of gain on grass really doesn't change. So right, and we still have several of those operations in this part of the world people that either used to be cow calf or something and uh don't want to fool with them through the winter time and buy them in the spring to run on grass through the summer and 
and sell in the fall. So yeah, that's positive news for, for those operations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, you know, it may even incentivize, may even incentivize keeping some of these fall born calves that are weaning this spring a little longer. So. And Kenny, before we let you go, I'm going to totally switch gears here a little bit and throw something at you. You know, we're not in real strong dairy country here, <clears> but we have some listeners that are, uh, and always like to kind of keep up with all sectors. And I know you kind of ca- cover uh, dairy economics some as well. So uh, how are those guys doing now? Have milk prices improved any, or are you seeing any improvement there? They have improved some. Um, you know, there was so much volatility last year across the board, but the swings that we saw in farm-level milk prices, you know, from one month to the next in 2020 was just unreal. So. No question, towards the end of 2020, you know, milk prices certainly had improved some. But, you know, we're, we're fighting a few things here, obviously, in the state. You know, we, we do tend to have smaller dairy operations, which is, you know, which is a factor, right? There's, you know, costs are simply higher on a lot of these smaller scale operations. We're also dealing with a couple unusual things, too. And I, I put an article on recommended policy update back in, I think, October about this, but you know, the 20, I always get my years mixed up, so forgive me if I misspeak here, but the, the 2018 Farm Bill made a change in the way that the, the Class 1 skim milk formula was, was calculated. And historically, it was based on the higher of the Advanced Class 3 or Advanced Class 4. And they went to an average price of those two plus 74 cents. So simple way to explain it is, if there's if there's more than a dollar forty eight per hundred weight difference in the advanced class three and class four, then you're better off with the higher up formula. If they're closer than that together, you're better off with the new formula. And the new formula was really set set up um, not to necessarily impact price. It was set to be a, to really have price about the same. The idea was it made it easier for risk management, whether it be the dairy revenue protection insurance using futures and options. It's meant to make it easier to do that. What's happened though in 2020, and I think a lot of it's because of the strong demand for cheese, frankly, but we've seen this huge divergence in class three and class four milk price. So bottom line is the new formula actually hurt us quite a bit in a state like Kentucky where so much of our milk is priced as class one. A lot of it got sold for quite a bit less than it would have otherwise. And with this inverted market where a good chunk of the year, we actually had class three at a premium to class one, you had some folks who were in the class three business who simply just chose not to pool their milk, which really just made the problem worse. So those two things together really did hurt quite a bit. So yeah, that was the price impact and sure it's improved some. If you look at really what our folks left with, you know, or or brought home, I should say with their checks, the impact was pretty darn big for probably the last, I don't know, I'm going to say eight months or so of 2020. And we're still fighting that battle, I think, today. Yeah, no, I don't – of course, there's we don't have any dairies left in LaRue County, and I think Hardin County lost another one uh, in the last month. It was yeah. a big dairy producer kind of there on the Hardin, Hardin – Mead County, Mead County line. line, Breckenridge County line, Grayson – yeah. Somewhere around in that area, Mead. but they meet, yeah. <laughs> I, and uh, so you know, I tend to keep up with that at the grocery store, but anymore, you can't even keep up with it yeah. there the way they've got it priced at different places as lost leaders or what have you. But um, that, that was good to get a little update on that. 
I enjoy following the dairy markets. It's you know it's not always it's not always a pleasant story to tell at times. And there's you know there's you've really got to respect those folks in that business because mm-hmm. there's not much not much tougher way to live than that. But they they do a fantastic job. I never milked my uh, my grandparents did, so I've always felt a bit of a connection there. But yeah. Yep. Same here. Yep. Same here. My grandparents <laughs> did too. Well, Kenny, we appreciate you spending some time with us this week. And uh, I guess you've, you've almost become a regular. <laughs> so I guess here in about a month, be expecting a phone call again. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you on again. We'll, we'll see how accurate you are with your uh, predictions for this week. That's right. I, I said I said count numbers down one to one and a half percent. Oh, I wrote right? it down. Yeah, <laughs> we're going well, to remember. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect any less. Yeah. So, anyway, I didn't make a sheet prediction though, so but we'll, we'll see. But. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> I enjoyed it, guys. Thanks yep. a bunch. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Take you. Take care. Bye. All right. Well, some good comments there from Doctor Burdine. We always like to have him on the show always enjoys talking with him and we really are lucky to to have him here at the university of kentucky i know he's one of the more well-respected especially livestock economists in the country and especially in the southeast so uh, always good to have his insight and very he's very knowledgeable and definitely one that has his uh has his finger on the pulse of the livestock markets yeah and he won't like us saying this but he wasn't ready for our interview at all today <laughs> and had no notes and nothing but knew everything that we had to ask and didn't That's even right. have to and it and it's not like we just asked him to if he'd be on the show yesterday or anything we'd never <laughs> do anything like that so yeah have a lot of appreciation for him joining us short notice and being able to provide us with a lot of good information yeah definitely Speaking of good information, you remember I got me an air fryer. Yeah. Did you? Did yeah, you pull we got one for one? Christmas. Okay. We talked about this, I don't know, months ago about air fryers. And I think mm-hmm. we even had a we had Dana on, we did. an FCS agent on, to talk about air fryers. I got one. And so far, well, I didn't like it at first. I mean, it's growing on me. It's pretty nice. And when you got two kids that eat a lot of stuff that you kind of make in the oven, real nice throw stuff in there five or 10 minutes it's done here you go what are you are you talking like chicken nuggets chicken nugs yeah that i i don't know chicken nuggets don't take but like 10 minutes in the oven though anyway yeah but you gotta but i guess you gotta preheat it yeah yeah, i get what you're saying so So you don't even have to preheat this joke you 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 can preheat it it all yeah and this one's not like the normal one this one's like it's like a combination toaster oven thing it's it's got all the bells and whistles i Man. think it even make you a cappuccino if you push the right buttons probably cool. and i don't drink cappuccino but, <laughs> but anyway yeah it was a gift from the mother-in-law so thank you mother-in-law we're getting a lot of good use out of that <laughs> i guess the father-in-law probably pitched in for it too have you air fried anything weird in it i saw like i saw a video somewhere about somebody air fried a hot dog one time or yeah maybe we did that i mean it's it makes it kind of crispy on the outside and cooks it on the inside it works hot dogs are all right tried to do sausage in it did not didn't i don't wouldn't do sausage in it again like some of those sausage, some things you like got breakfast sausage like sausage yeah, patties like, yeah huh cooks it cooks it through it's just not the same you got to have a little char from the cast iron skillet or something on that stuff you just yeah. can't just can't put that in the air fryer it's kind of a sin i think you're yeah. not supposed to do that yeah. so um but anyway now lots of like pizza a little pizza by anything that you put in the oven generally 
you can put. I in thought you were supposed to put like healthy stuff in the air fryer. Oh like well, yeah, you can. And broccoli and yeah, have you, you done do any that. of that? No, no, you can't. <laughs> you haven't. <laughs> no, actually, we've like done your sweet style. baked potatoes and sweet potatoes. They do them pretty good. It's a little faster. Okay. We've done some baked sweet potatoes in there, so that's that's probably a little healthy. But don't tell a I little. Put, I put butter and brown sugar all over it, so <laughs> I don't know how healthy it is after that. Before or after it went in the air fryer? After. Okay. I didn't know if it made like a candied kind of sweet know, potato or yeah. something. It might. Yeah. Might have to look into that. Hmm. Might have to log into your Pinterest and check out some recipes. You have a Pinterest? No, I said I'll log into yours. Oh, I don't have one either. So I'm I'm jumping into a little project on my barn. Hasn't your barn been like one big massive project? Well, it is. I mean, the whole farm okay. is. But I've, <laughs> now that I have a roof, I'm going to put me a solar panel on it. Like a big solar panel? Well, I was going to. And then I heard. And then you got sticker shot. <laughs> Cost more than the whole barn was worth. Basically. <laughs> but I will say, though, you can do that for very cheap now. Because you know how, like, think about these flat screen TVs that we got mm-hmm. and how what they cost five years ago and what they cost today. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing's going on with these solar panels. And I really think in maybe the next probably two or three years, if this uh, if this political climate keeps on with pushing more towards green energy type things, you'll probably get a solar panel for not much. I'm talking like a pretty decent sized solar panel for a hundred bucks a panel. Huh. Um, you can, I think you can get pretty close to that now. If you, if you find some dent specials, that's what I priced <laughs> from a place, but, um, but no that. And then the batteries to store the, you know, the batteries. Aren't those supposed to be the expensive part? The yeah, I think so. That and then the inverter and some of those things that, that it requires, but Anyway, I'm doing a little work. I'm doing a little investigative work. I'm trying to make a program about how we can rig up a barn with solar-powered lighting. We'll see how that goes. Sounds like a Steve Higgins project. Yeah, it does. I don't know if he's much on electric stuff. I don't know. But you need to tie in like some big water tanks and some gutters off the side of it, too. Maybe we can make it powered by the water running down the gutters, and it can turn a... Like yeah, a, what do you call that? Like a water, water wheel? Sure. What is it, the old, the old mills? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> but it would only work when it was raining, so I don't know if that would be real right. efficient. Well, you got to store the power. Hey, up it the could be a, it could be a backup for when, because when it's raining, the sun's not shining, so it's not powering your solar panel. True. That's true. You have power all the time. Not Man, just a hat weird. rack. I hope if, if you're listening to this show, you're probably going to go start a business based on <laughs> the ideas that we spit out. But anyway, uh, but yeah, that's my that's my project. I'm going to work on that and see how that turns out. We'll keep us updated. I'll probably just end up buying some little cheap contraption that has a little solar box on it and turns the lights on when the lights go out. <laughs> and it'll work for th- two or three months and then I'll throw it away. Uh, if it was me, I'd probably just run an electric line to the bar. Well, it's about 500 feet. And, I just yeah. don't, and there's rocks and yeah, I don't know. Not really a good way to run it above or below ground. 
And that costs money too. It does. It does. How long ago was it that we had our um, insect person on here? We had Dr. Bess in here. Was it two or three weeks ago? Week before last, wasn't it? You know, we talked about insects and we talked about stuff that we're going to see this year. I don't think he ever talked about cicadas. He did not. I believe if I've read somewhere here in the last couple of days that uh, that we're expected to, this is uh, one of our years to have a cicada boom. Like the seven year thing? Has it been seven I years? I guess. When, what would it say? have been 2014-ish? You, hey, you're doing more math today. Yeah. I'm on it. And I don't even remember it being that bad then, but it could have been. All these years run together anymore. That's right. And it's not seven years. It's actually 17 years. I thought it was, uh, oh, it is 17 years. I stand corrected. So that would have put it at 2004. More math. I think that's right. And uh, I think I actually remember that because you could drive down the road and have your windows down and you could hear the cicadas. They were that loud and that there's that many. I do. I do remember that. That had been the year after I graduated high school. But I feel like we've talked about this before. There are cicadas every year, right? Yes. It's just the big swarms are every 17 yes. years. Yep. Yeah. I think I found the article that you're talking about. You'll notice You'll notice the tips. The tips broke back on a lot of trees because that's where they lay their eggs. Yeah. Apparently, there's a 13-year brood and a 17-year brood. And the 13-year brood is more common in the South. But apparently, this is the 17-year brood. So, maybe we did have some three or four years ago. And we probably did, yeah. Brood. So, yeah. that's Well, one thing that doesn't happen every 17 years, it happens every year, but it's... Most years. Yeah, most years. It's usually a pretty big event because everybody's waiting for it. And it brings in droves of people into the extension office is the Kate program. And Daniel, you're the oddball here because you all wrapped yours up back in the fall or something, right? Yes. So yeah. we do have several counties represented on the show. So I want to make it clear, LaRue County Cape, the applications are over. I think if you're a LaRue County person. Don't go busting the doors down yeah, at the LaRue no, County Extension office. There are no more Cape applications for, for, the, for this latest program. But if and, you need your educational credit for it, you need to call me. You need to call yeah. me and we'll get it set up. And for Hardin County, uh, unless you're listening to this real early, uh, you know, ours, the application period runs for three weeks now. Uh, we started ours back on January the 11th, and applications are due in here Friday the 29th. So, yeah, if, you, if you're listening to this sometime Thursday or Friday, then... You've got some time to get in here and get an application in. It's not all that complicated. You can probably grab an application and sit in the parking lot, and you'll know most of the stuff to be able to uh, to fill it out and bring it right back in. And Grayson County is going on right now as well. I believe they just started this week. So, yeah, Grayson County started the 25th of January, and they run through the 12th of February is their application period. So, yeah, swing if you're in Grayson County or you farm in Grayson County, then, then swing by the Grayson County Extension Office, and you can fill your application out there. If you're in a county other than Hardin, LaRue, or Grayson, uh, give your county Extension Office a call. They usually, 
if they don't have the program going on or don't have it scheduled, they'll have a general idea of the kind of the time of year uh, that they usually run it, and they can give you a, a general idea when to start checking back again. So if you're interested in those cost share programs, definitely call the extension office and, and check it out. A few other things that we've mentioned in previous weeks, if you need uh, private applicator training, please contact your extension office as soon as you can, and we'll try to get something lined up for you. Um, there's different ways we can do it and different ways that all of our counties are, are doing this, but uh, give us a call. We'll get you set up and uh, we want to help you get these things done. Um, we want to do it in a safe way too. So let us know about that. And then also, you know, with some of these, of course, with Lurie County with Cape program, it's another thing that if you need those educational credits, we can help you. Just got to let us know. Yep. And another thing, be sure to uh, check out our Facebook page. Uh, give us a like or a thumbs up, whatever you want to call it on there. Uh, just search Dirt to Dollars. Uh, you can also do the same on Twitter. We're on there as well. Uh, try and keep those both updated. So check those out. And another thing we'll kind of ask of you, if any of you want to give some feedback, maybe on how you're listening, uh, that'll help us better serve how we need to uh, get the word out in the future so you know if you're if you listen on your phone on apple podcast or on a different podcasting site let us know that get shoot one of us an email or give us a call or a lot of you have our cell phone numbers shoot us a text we'd hear from a lot of you that way just let us know how you're listening if you're listening on the radio let us know because that's the hardest one to track we can we can usually track kind of how many people we have listening on the podcast but yeah, if you're listening on the radio, be sure to let us know. And be sure to tell Kale that you like our show. That too, so we don't yeah. get kicked off there. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of like it there. That's right. So yeah, anyway, thanks for tuning in this week, and I believe that wraps up the show, unless you have something, Daniel. I got nothing. Let's get out of here. All right. Beat the snow on. Yeah, we'll see you next week. See you.